Welcome to Round Rock Church of Christ. We're glad you're listening. If you're in the Austin area, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday at 8.30 or 10 a.m. Or you can check us out and watch online at roundrockchurch.us. May God bless you as you seek Him, and may He use this message to give you exactly what you need. Luke thirteen seventeen. When Jesus said this, all his opponents were put to shame, and the entire crowd was delighted at all the wonderful things that he was doing. Y'all, I'm sure if you're like me and my wife, uh, you can't help but wonder what in the world did Jesus say? But you're going to have to hold off for a little bit. You're going to have to humor me for a second, and uh, I have just a couple of questions I want to ask you all this morning. Uh, don't worry. All I need you to do is raise your hand uh, if, if you agree with this sentiment, um, but, but please, I just have a few questions, so I'll, I'll ask you an easy one to start, okay? Who likes to be right? Man, there's a lot of people who don't like to be right. I don't know. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, probably most people in this room. Now, here's a, here's a second question. Who likes to be wrong? First service, there were three people that told me they like to be wrong. So just to let you know. Um, but really, right, right. Uh, not many of us love the feeling of, of being so adamant that we're right about something and then finding out that we've been wrong the whole time. That feeling of being uh, humiliated or frustrated that we thought some way the whole time and, and we were wrong, right? Now three, this is, this is my last one for you. So ha- have you ever felt grateful for being wrong? Hands? Okay, yeah, yeah. Right, so whether that's like a, a first impression, right, about someone, whether that's um, an impression about someone or something or a rule or a tradition or just something that you never thought could be wrong, right? That happens. And I'll tell you, there have been so many times where I thought that I could not be more right, and I was wrong, and it dented the ego. And I'll tell you, I have to admit this to you this morning, church, is that there have been times on the other end of that where I have been someone trying to prove someone wrong, but not for the sake of their, you know, not in thinking about them, not for the sake of good reasons, but for the sake of my own rightness, for the sake of proving someone wrong to show I have prowess, I have wisdom, some one-uppery of sorts. Just ask Amber. She knows I have this habit, but I think, I hope I'm growing in that. And now what if I was to tell you, you don't have to participate anymore, you're good, you're off the hook, but what if I was to tell you that God proves us wrong, that when God proves us wrong, this is a gift, a gift that keeps on giving, and y'all, this is the punch this morning. You're welcome, I'm getting to it early, but Hear this, hear this, okay? God proves us wrong not for the sake of pride in God's self or to belittle us, but solely for the, help, for the sake of helping us see the way that God sees. Solely for helping us see the way that God sees. 
God proves us wrong time and time again, giving us wisdom and clarity that we could never experience or attain on our own. It's one of God's greatest gifts to us to help us in our limited purview to see what really is good, what really is just, what really is right. And y'all, today, we are going to see what it looks like for God to prove us wrong in a loving and right way for the sake of living love, and this will change you for the better. Whether you are following God right now or whether you can't even understand a God who would do that for you. A God that would prove you wrong for your sake. In a time when our world so often wants to either stroke your ego or tear you down. A path that leads us to depression, to a superiority complex, to anxiety. And maybe all of those things at the same time, we need God to reorient us this morning. Or we will continue to miss out, fail to see the humanity of the person sitting across the room from us, sitting across the restaurant from us. And we must ask God to prove us wrong in a way that gives us vision. Vision to see what it looks like to seek freedom in Christ for every person we know. Whether you are religious or not, if you let this story from this morning stir within you, your relationships will change immediately. Good morning. My name is Matt Delano. Uh, I am the discipleship minister here at Round Rock Church of Christ. Uh, it is so good to see you guys this morning. It's so good to be together. Uh, man, our praise team was leading us well today. Um, it's a joy to worship together. Um, and if you're joining us online, we're so glad you're here as well. Um, I always am so gripped by the fact that the Spirit is just alive here. And I hope you feel it too. Now this week, uh, you will have noticed this uh, if you've been joining us, but we're taking a quick hiatus from our interim preacher sermon series on Jeremiah. Um, he will be back up here next week. Um, but for today, we're, we're stuck together. Um, and you don't know, you may not like it yet, but I sure do love it. So I'm glad you're here with me. Now today, we're going to meet Jesus, a Jewish man that happens to be the Son of God. A Jewish man who's in the midst of his life of ministry, bringing the kingdom of God into existence through healing, through teaching, and through much more. Along the way, as you might imagine, Jesus has made his share of opponents. And that's not because he's rabble-rousing or causing a stir on purpose. He's simply radically loving his neighbor. And today in particular, we find ourselves witnessing Jesus in an experience where there is tension between living out the gospel and the traditions he knows well. Traditions that are deep within him. So, if you want to follow with us, you can join us in Luke chapter 13, uh, verses 10 through 17. That is uh, the third gospel of the New Testament. It follows the book of Mark and is before the book of John. 
Uh, Luke is one of four Gospels that takes us on a journey to see the ins and outs of Jesus' life and ministry. And if you don't have a Bible, don't worry. Uh, you can follow along on the screen. Uh, we'd love for you to do that. So let's dig in. So Luke 13, 10. Now Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. So we got to pause here. Uh, I just I want us to take a quick focus, a quick look at Sabbath, okay? So Sabbath is a holy day. It's a gift of a day, a day set aside by the people of God for rest and for worship. And it's a day of importance because it's, it's honoring two things. One, it's, it's mirroring God's day of rest after six days of creation, but it's also honoring and setting a marker for the Israelites, for the Israelites and their deliverance from Egyptian slavery. It's a, day, it's, a, it's, it's a day that is a show of resistance, a marking of rest, the power to rest for a people who have not rest, rested for so long. And this day calls for complete rest. It doesn't call for a nap and you're good. It calls for complete rest, complete focus on God. And just a heads up, breaking Sabbath was a major no-no, right? So it's like, it's like opening up your umbrella inside. I don't know if you guys have heard of this, but eating a Snickers with a fork and a knife. Do you guys know about this? That's supposedly like a fad. Uh, it's like wearing white after Labor Day. I don't know if that's a huge thing anymore, but, but for me, the thing that hits the most home is it's like stepping on a foul line on the baseball diamond. You don't do that, so please don't do that ever. But really, so those are, those are, those are small no-nos in our culture, but for here, just to give you a glimpse, breaking Sabbath was no laughing matter. It was punishable by death. It was punishable by death because breaking Sabbath was to dishonor God. Breaking Sabbath was to choose something else. And so the scene we are about to enter challenges the view of first century Jewish people as to what Sabbath means. And for us in our context today, it challenges our understanding of the tension between traditions or rules and God working in new salvific ways. So back to the story. In verse 11 we read, And just then there appeared a woman with a spirit that had crippled her, a spirit of infirmity for 18 years. She was bent over and was quite unable to stand up straight. And when Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Woman, you are set free from your ailment. And when Jesus laid his hands on her immediately, she stood up and she praised God. A couple quick observations. So uh, I want you guys to see this. So Jesus preaching, teaching on the synagogue on, the whole, or on Sabbath, on the holy day, this is common. This is a norm for Jesus. But what might not be a norm for everyone else is that Jesus in the, is in the middle of teaching and preaching like I, I am right now, and he's like, there's something else more important right now. Hold that point. We'll get back to it. Keep a, keep a spot. Let me know where I was when, when we stopped. 
But he goes and grabs this woman, brings her to him, and she heals him, or he heals her immediately. Jesus wants freedom for her urgently. And y'all, there's no time for him to wait. He meets her spiritual needs by meeting physical needs. And her ailment, you might be wondering, part of his healing takes place because her, her ailment in many ways has placed her on the margins. It has placed her on the margins because people at this time believe, some people at this time believe that her own physical uh, infirmity is a product of her own moral failings or her family's moral failings. And so what's even more fascinating is that Jesus seeks her out. She doesn't ask to be healed. We might even think she's given up on the chance of being healed. We might think that she's given up the chance or the thought of being noticed, of being changed. Remember that. Because Jesus doesn't ask her, is it okay for me to heal you? He just does it. He doesn't care about the time and place. He doesn't care that he has to pause in his preaching and teaching no matter how good it was. He knows healing needs to happen. But the praising of this woman is drowned out quickly. We read the leader of the synagogue was indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. He kept saying to the crowd, there are six days on which work ought to be done. Come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. But the Lord answered him and said, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan has bound for 18 long years, be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day? So that's what Jesus said. And I want to stop here because I think we can get out of this way too easy. Because I want to argue that the synagogue leader's response is not that of an evil person. That's far too easy. That's far too simple to cast him in that light. That takes the onus off of us. Rather, he is a synagogue leader who has been shaped by practices and by culture. And I fully believe that if he stepped back, he would see this healing as good. But in this moment... Every ounce of his being is telling him this is wrong. And I think it's worth pointing out that this posture he has feels supported because he might be one who believes that this woman brought on her infirmity. He might be one that thinks that her, the, 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 the spirit that's gripped her is a product of her own emotional or spiritual sin. And so everything that this man is telling him is that there is a time and place for healing, and it's not right now. And we can say all that, and we can also say he's wrong. He's wrong. He's wrong because this tradition, this connection of ailment 
of, of her physical ailment saying something about her spiritual ineptitude is misguided. And Jesus needs to correct this because the synagogue leader's experiences, his traditions, his cultural understanding leads him to miss out on this woman's humanity. To miss out on the fact that she belongs to him and he belongs to her. And right now, this healing is not just good, it's necessary. There's no time to wait for freedom. There is no time to wait for healing. And I mean, right here, Luke shows us that we can have tunnel vision so badly that we can be lulled into believing that even our animals, our property, our possessions, they're a lot more important than another human's well-being. And I think it is clear, I'm, I, I would say this, that Jesus is not saying that the life-sustaining work uh, uh, towards these animals is bad. He's saying, if you can provide a respite of water for your ox, but, but you're clear, you are clearly missing something if it's not expected or required for this daughter of Abraham. And as I was preparing this morning, I, I couldn't get away from this, this quote uh, that I saw uh, by, by Mother Teresa, of course, she has wonderful things to say. Um, but what she says capitalizes on what Jesus is revealing. And it challenges our world's view, um, a view that maybe is trying to deceive us into thinking what I'm about to say is the opposite. She writes, If we have no peace, it is because we have forgotten that we belong to each other. If we have no peace, it is because we have forgotten that we belong to each other. This is the key. So often we think we belong to ourselves. We think we belong to only this small subset of people. No, we belong to every single person in this, in this room, in this world, every person who was created by God. We belong to them, and they belong to us. That is the gospel. That is living love, acknowledging that and knowing that when one of us is made whole, when one of us is made whole, when one of us is unbound from evil, when one of us is unbound from something that's been dragging us down for so long, we all experience freedom. We all experience the gospel more fully. And y'all, Jesus is working here. He heals this woman on the Sabbath so that for the first time in 18 years, she can rest. She can rest. And there is no time on Jesus, there is no timeline for Jesus that's going to say, stop from healing her right now. We must seek rest for each other. For Jesus says in another point in Mark, for the Sabbath was made for humankind, not humankind for the Sabbath. Sabbath is important, but if absolute rest comes to a point where it is hurtful for the rest of humanity, for the brother and sister in this room, we begin to ask a question that can harm us. We begin to think in the same way of this synagogue leader, subconsciously, without second thought. We say, can't she wait any longer? What's one more day? 
It won't kill her. That's a problem. That's a problem. And that is why this is so true. Sabbath must be broken for the sake of Sabbath. Sabbath must be broken for the sake of Sabbath. If we go through the motions, we forget what Sabbath is all about. To give life and to honor God. To give rest and to honor God. And believe me, this is not an argument against taking Sabbath. We could all use way more. This is about reimagining and being reoriented to, to, to what seeking Sabbath entails. Right? So, we must seek Sabbath for the whole of our community. If someone is, is without Sabbath, if someone is without rest, we might just have to press pause on our Sabbath so that we can seek it for them, with them. Jesus brought this woman from the margins to the center. He was divinely interrupted. Rules had to be stretched Tradition had to be challenged, and this healing was a grace. And now, we're back to where we started. When Jesus said this, all his opponents were put to shame. And the entire crowd was delighted at all the wonderful things he was doing. What a combination! The people were delighted in this healing and this truth, but also I think Jesus is pointing them to is like, guys, every single one of you, even those who are delighting right now, you have needed to be proved wrong. You have needed to be proved wrong because of your limited purview, because our limited scope, our limited understanding can so often miss out on what God is doing. And sometimes when God straightens things out, our only response is to fall down in humility and to rise up with delight. To rise up with delight that being wrong is a gift. A gift that enables us to see how God sees, even if it's for a moment. And church, you, you may be sitting here in this room, whether you follow Jesus, whether you're not sure what, what you want, what God desires for you, what you're thinking. You may sit here and you might be on board. You might be like, yep, we, people need healing. I can get on board with that. The synagogue leader was wrong. I can get on board with that. But, but what now? What now? I think the starting point is we have to ask ourselves some questions, individually and collectively. We have we have to acknowledge that we have been the synagogue leader. And we will continue to be the synagogue leader. And we also have to acknowledge we have been people who delight in what Jesus is doing. And we will continue to be people who delight in what Jesus is doing. But these questions are going to help us to see where we are. Are we delighting or are we the synagogue leader? We have to ask one, how often do we make space to see how Jesus sees? And then two, do we really believe that God is working in new ways? Do we believe He's working in new ways outside of our scope, outside of our purview? 
outside of how we are used to seeing, outside of what we expect, outside of how our parents see, how our friends see, how our children see, are we ready? Are we ready to see a different way? I know it's so tempting for me to see how I see. But that's wrong-headed. And I don't think that's what I want for me or for you. If we need new eyes, we need to ask what it would look like for us to be moved by being proved wrong by God. Because remember, God's proving us wrong is not for the sake of God's rightness, for the sake of God's ego. It's for the sake of giving us eyes. For the sake of giving us eyes and clarity and wisdom. And Jesus doesn't want to prove us wrong just to make us feel guilty and burdened and depressed and to leave us there. Jesus wants to prove us wrong at times because he wants us to learn how misguided our eyes can be. When they're on ourselves and when we're seeing only the part and not the whole. And I think this is the leading question as we close today. I want to answer this a little bit, but I also want us to think about it. To let it stir in us today and this week. It's how do we and how should we respond when we come across situations where tension or where 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 tradition and healing are in tension. How do we respond? How do we respond? Situations where we feel like a rule or a tradition, it couldn't be wrong. It's always been right. When there is a norm that we've never questioned, when there is a rule or tradition that we're holding so tight to that it might even lead us to devalue another human being. What do we do? When it would lead us to treat them with cruelty and incivility, I'm telling you, if we believe that we always have to hold tighter to a rule or a tradition, if we have to always grip it tighter and respond with a rule-first mentality, we will always leap to cruelty and judgment towards others who do not view things the same way. And that cruelty, it will lead to death. It will lead to death, not just for the person that's feeling it. It will lead to death for us. And it will allow us to dismiss the fact that we belong to each other, even if we don't see how one another sees. And y'all, as I think about our context, I think about this woman has been thrown into the margins, right? She's been thrown into the margins because of her, her physical infirmity. And I wonder in our context, what if this story is about someone in this room, in this community, who has been crippled by the weight of shame? by the weight of disapproval of their friends, of their church, of me, of you? What if we believe that Jesus called us to set them free from that judgment? And to rather than, 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 than heap more judgment on them, we, we help free them from what throws them into the margins. What if instead of being indignant towards someone's situation, their orientation, their job, their views, we extended grace and mercy? 
grace and mercy to someone who has felt excluded and othered in the same way that I know every single person in this room has felt at some point. What if we were people who were informed by tradition and rules, but we were anchored in grace and anchored in breaking down barriers of belonging? Y'all, there are folks in this room, in this city, in this world, who feel the weight of judgment, of cancer, of opposition, people who feel outside of God's grace, and you may know that feeling. But I'll tell you, it, it's not because of who God is. It's because time and time again, the church has failed to fully witness to the God of belonging. That's who we're witnessing to. We know, and, I, and I'll tell you, I know we are there, I know we're moving there, I know this church wants to be that place. We know we can no longer say to the woman gripped with shame from addiction, the husband diagnosed with cancer, the son who lost 20 years to life in prison. We can't say anymore, don't worry. You can wait a little longer to be healed. Don't worry, you can wait a little longer for rest and restoration. We will get to that later. We can't respond like that anymore. Rather, we have to respond by sharing life with others and inviting God to reorient us when we're wrong. It's humbling to seek healing, to seek rest, to seek restoration, because healing is here. It's now. And this means a few things for us. This means a few things. It means that today we sit together in the midst of grief. Of, of divorce, of miscarriage, of, of the pain of loss, to a battle with cancer. We, we sit in grief. We, we also pursue healing. We pursue healing through, through lamentations, through petitions to God. We, we pursue advocating for those who've been ostracized. Whether it's someone who's, who's coming out of prison and can't find a job, we help them. And we listen to the plight of those who can't rest. And y'all hear this. We stop, we stop measuring whether someone is worth our time. And we just empty ourselves. We bravely step into the gaps, especially when we're afraid. This is what we do. We can't put it off any longer. We can't put it off any longer. But y'all, one thing that has brought me so much joy in the last two years, the last two and a half years, is our church has experienced the gift of being proven wrong. We know so many of us have experienced this feeling of this traditional belief that when someone comes to church, when someone comes here, it is necessary for them to already be at a certain place. It's necessary for them to believe something or become something before they are welcome. And that is wrong. And that is not what this church believes. Are we perfect at showing it? Not always. 
But are we pursuing it? We are. We believe that everyone belongs. And we believe that God believes it is right that everyone belongs. And we believe that every single person in this room has a story worth knowing and sharing. And we are meant to be a place of rest and of life-sustaining work for the kingdom of God. And hear this, whether this is your first time with us, whether you're trying to understand what it looks like to follow God, whether you've been jaded by the church, you don't have to be baptized before you're healed. You don't have to know every word of Scripture to find freedom. You just get to be healed and loved right now in this place. Come drink that in. We aren't waiting for for freedom in Christ any longer. We're not waiting for healing any longer. Join us. Let's go together and ask God to reorient us in a way that helps us to break down any barriers, that helps us to seek healing for anyone who's been held down. And y'all hear this. God created you with goodness inside of you. From the very beginning. God created you with goodness inside of you. And your goodness is not based on, it's not informed by anyone's afflictions. It's not informed by anyone's judgment of what you're experiencing or struggling with spiritually, emotionally, physically. You are good and you belong here. You belong here, but you also belong in God's arms. And He is calling out to you. And so I have to ask, who's ready to be proved wrong? I know I am. I'm ready for Jesus to continue to show us our blind spots, to continue to show us that being wrong just helps us to see a little more rightly. Let's fight to see a little more rightly. Pray with me this morning. God, thank you. Thank you for being a God who can show us the way. A God who can remind us that our pursuit is not to be right about every single thing, to have right theology, to have a right understanding of everything, but, but we are here to be, to be shaped and pruned by your Spirit, by Jesus, and by the, the, the fact that we just sometimes need to be reshaped. Sometimes we need to be proven wrong so that we can see rightly. God, give us fresh eyes. And God, help us to know that, yes, it is going to be hard, but it is worth it. It is worth seeing things the way that you see them. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.